0: For six generations, the Jones family has been providing high-quality meats. And now, we're providing treats for the best member of your family, man's best friend, a.k.a. the goodest boys and girls. Jones Natural Shoes makes bones and treats that are sure to be savored by your dog and are made from the best natural ingredients available. Our flavorful chews are made from natural animal parts, and will have your puppy drooling with happiness. From treats like sticks and chews to savory bones and patties, we've got you covered for finding the perfect reward for that special pup in your life. Jones Natural Chews come in all sizes, so make sure to choose the right treat for your pup. And remember, it's important to be supervising your pup when they're enjoying their treats to keep your puppy safe. Jones Natural Chews, available at a pet store near you, or visit jonesnaturalchews.com to get started with our store locator tool. That's Jones Natural Chews. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Cause of death portrays imagery of death, war, and destruction. It may not be suitable for children under the age of 13. Welcome to Cause of Death. I'm your host, Jackie Moranti. Before we get started, I'm going to direct your attention to the Facebook group, the Facebook page, and the Instagram, at Cause of Death. My Twitter feed is heating up at Cause of Death 10. I have some interesting interactions there, so come join us. I get confused on who I'm interacting as, though. Lucky Charms Unplugged may answer for Cause of Death, or I may answer for either of them. I'm having a ton of fun with that. Thanks to all of you who participated in the poll for the topic next season. It looks like we're going with the perfectly avoidables. These will be diseases that really should be eradicated by now, but aren't. And I'm going to tell you why. For those of you that voted for other topics, don't worry. They'll show up in other seasons. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review in iTunes. Most of all, share those episodes. Let's get some attention for this podcast. If you'd like to donate, you can do so at patreon.com slash Jackie or you can buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com slash unplugged. You can also buy merch at tpublic.com slash death. Lucky Charms Unplugged. I want to throw an extra disclaimer on this show. The information on Porphyria is accurate. The rest of the story is questionable. I did my best to validate the story that follows, but who knows what really went on in the 15th century. This show does depict imagery of extreme violence and war. Please be advised. So let's talk about porphyria. Of course, I'll start with pathology and etiology. Porphyrins are tetrapyrrole, macrocylic, organic compounds that form metallated compounds that include heme, chlorophyll, and bacteria chlorophyll. In other words, every living thing depends on porphyrins to live. Porphyria is a very rare blood disorder usually caused by an inherited gene mutation from one or both parents in the patient's DNA. Porphyria occurs when the body can't produce heme due to a deficiency in one of eight enzymes. The deficiency in any one of the eight enzymes involved allows porphyrins to build up in the liver or the bone marrow, which inhibits heme production. There are two major categories of porphyria, acute and cutaneous. These are further broken down into types. The four types of acute porphyria are acute intermittent porphyria, which affects the nervous system, variegate porphyria, which affects both the nervous system and the skin, hereditary coproporphyria, affecting the nervous system and the skin, and delta aminolevulinic acid dehydrase deficiency porphyria, which affects the nervous system. In all four of the acute types of porphyria, the buildup of porphyrins occurs in the liver. The four types of cutaneous porphyria are porphyria cutanea tarda, buildup occurring in the liver, protoporphyrias, erythropoietic protoporphyria, and X-linked protoporphyria, buildup occurring in the bone marrow, congenital erythropoietic porphyria, buildup occurring in the bone marrow, and hepatoerythropoietic porphyria, with buildup occurring in the liver. All of these affect the skin. Porphyrias, like I said, are very rare diseases. Approximately 1 in 50,000 people will suffer from porphyria. The most common type of acute porphyria is acute intermittent porphyria. The most common type of cutaneous porphyria is porphyria cutanea tarda, which also is the most common type of porphyria overall. Acute porphyria is more common in women than in men, and all patients will usually experience symptoms between the ages of 15 and 45. Porphyria cutanea tarda is more common in men and symptoms often become noticeable after age 40. Other types of porphyria will appear in early childhood. Acute porphyria increases the chance of developing liver cancer. Porphyria cutanea tarda also causes liver damage and increases the chance of cirrhosis and liver cancer. Protoporphyria may cause liver damage, cirrhosis, and liver failure. Congenital erythropoietic porphyria and hepatoerythropoietic porphyria may cause severe anemia and enlargement of the spleen. Acute porphyria may also cause high blood pressure, chronic kidney disease, and kidney failure. Symptoms and effects differ widely between patients. Severity depends on whether the patient acquires the mutation from one or both parents and what types of porphyria the patient has. Some people never have any symptoms at all, and some have moderate symptoms for a very short time, and others have symptoms for their entire lives. The minor symptoms of acute porphyria include severe abdominal pain, pain in the chest, legs, or back, constipation or diarrhea, nausea and vomiting, muscle pain, tingling, numbness, weakness, or paralysis, red or brown urine, breathing problems, urination problems, rapid or irregular heartbeat, and seizures. The minor symptoms of cutaneous porphyrias include sensitivity to sunlight and possibly artificial light causing burning pain sudden painful skin redness and swelling, blisters on exposed skin, usually the hands, arms, and face, fragile thin skin with changes in skin color, itching, excessive hair growth in the affected areas, and red or brown urine. Risk factors include exposure to sunlight, certain medications, including hormone drugs, recreational drugs, dieting or fasting, smoking, physical stress, infections or illness, emotional stress, alcohol use, and menstrual hormones. Porphyria also causes mental illness. Some of the psychiatric manifestations include hysteria, anxiety, depression, phobias, psychosis, agitation, delirium, an altered consciousness ranging anywhere from somnolence to coma. Some develop a disorder that is similar to schizophrenia. Treatment of this disease is ambiguous. It mostly consists of avoiding any triggering environmental conditions. Many drugs have to be avoided, including psychotropics. Mainly, symptoms are treated as they occur. Diagnosis through urine tests detecting the presence of heme in the urine is most common. Okay, so why am I talking about a disease that is so rare that only 1 in 50,000 people in the world have it? With that ratio, it's pretty certain that no one listening has porphyria. Probably no one listening knows anyone with porphyria, right? Well, there's that one person who, that everyone knows, or more accurately, knows of. Wait a sec. I have to cue the scary music. Porphyria is known commonly as Dracula's disease. Of course, Dracula was a fictional character created by Bram Stoker in a novel written in 1897 called, very appropriately, Dracula. This character was a vampire. If you look through entertainment history, you'll find everything from songs to movies based on the character of Dracula. Stoker based his character on a real person, though, Vlad III, Prince of Wallachia, better known as Vlad the Impaler. Bran Castle is a tourist attraction that gives tours of Dracula's castle. But it is known that Vlad III never owned anything in Transylvania. Vlad's father, Vlad II, did own a residence in Transylvania, but it's not known whether Vlad was born there. He very possibly was born in Tagoviste, where the royal seat of the principality of Wallachia lay, and this is where Vlad too was the ruler. Vlad II was inducted into the Order of the Dragon in 1431, the same year that Vlad Third was born. This is when he acquired the name Dracul. At the time, the name meant dragon, but in modern Romanian, it means devil. The Order of the Dragon was established in 1408 by the king of Hungary, Sigismund. It was a fraternity created to protect Christianity and to defend against Ottoman invaders in Eastern Europe. The order was modeled after the military orders of the Crusades. Sigismund would later become the Holy Roman Emperor. Vlad III, Dracula, Dracula being the diminutive form of his father's name, Dracul, is said to have been born in Sigisora a Vivioda ship of Transylvania in the Kingdom of Hungary. However, historians believe that it would make more sense if his place of birth was at Targoviste, since that was the royal seat of the Principality of Wallachia at the time. Vlad Dracul was married to Princess Stisnia of Moldavia, but he had several mistresses, so it's entirely possible that Vlad III's mother was any one of them. He was born in the winter of 1431. The exact date is unknown, but it was either in November or December. He had three siblings, two older half-brothers, Mircea II and Vlad Kalugarul, and a younger brother, Radu III, the handsome. Vlad Dracula and his brother Radu grew up in Sigisora, however, during his first reign, Vlad Racul took them back to the capital city of Targa They were probably educated by Greek or Romanian scholars commissioned from Constantinople, the capital of the Byzantine Empire at the time. They would have learned several languages, Old Church Slavonic, Latin, and German. They would have also learned mathematics, geography, science, classical arts, and philosophy. But the most important thing that they would learn would be combat skills. This part of the world was at war all of the time, and these wars lasted centuries. Vlad Dracul took the throne of Wallachia in 1436 and became prince. He was ousted in 1442 by rivals who were in cahoots with the Hungarian government. So what did Vlad Dracul do? he flipped sides. He negotiated with the Ottomans for support of his reign. The Ottomans agreed to reinstate him as prince if he paid tribute to the Sultan Mehmed II. He went to meet with the Sultan to negotiate his tribute, taking Vlad Dracula and Radu with him. When they arrived, the boys were immediately imprisoned. Vlad, Dracula, and Radu were considered privileged while in captivity, so were treated well by the Ottomans. While there, they were educated in logic, the Koran, and they would learn to speak fluent Turkish. They were also taught, of course, horsemanship and warfare. Radu would later convert to Islam and enter the military as an Ottoman soldier, but Vlad was having none of it. He was defiant and would be punished constantly for not accepting the terms of his imprisonment. Some people believe that the punishments that he endured shaped his sadistic nature, paving the way for him to become Vlad the Impaler. There is no mention of how a privileged prisoner would be punished, but we have to take into consideration that it was the 15th century. I'm sure it was a little more than just a go to your room. Mercia II, Vlad Dracul's oldest son, was holding down the throne as ruler in Wallachia in Vlad Dracul's absence. During that time, Mercia had lost the throne to the Hungarians. The leaders of Hungary were angry with Vlad Dracul's alliance with the Ottomans. He was a dragon, after all, you know. So, the Hungarians, under the leadership of John Hunyadi, attacked Wallachia, forcing Mircea to flee into hiding. Hunyadi attacked Wallachia again in 1447 and claimed victory over the armies of Vlad Dracul and his son. Mircia was immediately captured and was blinded with a hot poker, then buried alive. A short time later, Vlad Dracul was also captured and killed. It doesn't say how he was killed, though. Maybe that's a good thing. Vlad Kalugarul, Vlad Dracula's older brother, would have been next in line for the throne, but he had become a monk. His mother was one of Vlad Dracul's mistresses, and shortly after Vlad Kalugarul's birth, her son was raised by the nuns, and when he was of age, he chose to follow in his mother's footsteps. This left Vlad Dracula as the heir to the throne. He became leader in 1448, but his first reign would only last two months before the Hungarians would regain power over Wallachia. Vlad Dracula then fled to Moldavia, where he spent the next three years with his uncle, Prince Bogdan II, and his cousin, Prince Stephen. In 1451, Prince Bogdan II was assassinated by his brother, Petru Aron. Vlad once again fled and took Prince Stephen with him. They went back to Transylvania and somehow ended up being mentored by the Hungarian warrior, John Hunyadi, and the Hungarian king, Ladislaus. These are the same people who killed Vlad's father and brother, mind you. Vladislav II was the ruler of Wallachia at the time. How he got there, really, no one knows, and it's not really important to our story, so I'm going to skip it. The bottom line is that Vladislav II and John Hunyadi were in a beef over the Battle of Kosovo in 1448. It would seem that Vladislav II refused to assist the Hungarians in that battle. Hunyadi then took some land back from Romania and gave it to the Hungarians in retaliation. Vladislav put a trade embargo in place against Brozov County, which was a part of Transylvania that belonged to Hunyadi. Hunyadi and Vladislav negotiated to the end of the embargo, but shortly afterward, Vladislav's armies attacked a fortress in Faragas in an attempt to regain some of the territory. They burned some villages along the way. Hanyadi then decided that he would send Vlad Dracula to assassinate Vladislav II. Vlad Dracula killed Vladislav II on August 20, 1456 in hand-to-hand combat. He was then installed as ruler of Wallachia, and his second reign began. This is where things get a little squidgy. So, be forewarned. His method of impalement was particularly horrible. He would tie each leg of the victim to a horse, then slowly force a long stake through the victim's anus or vagina. The stake couldn't be sharp enough to cause rapid death, though. He enjoyed seeing his victims suffer. Once the stake was planted in the body sufficiently the stake, and subsequently the victim would be lifted upright. The victim's body weight would finish the job as their body would slide down the stake. It would take hours or sometimes days to die, and the bodies would be left in place for months. While this could provide many hours of entertainment for Vlad, he was also known to have boiled or roasted his victims alive. He mutilated them. He strangled them. He exposed them to wild animals, he skinned them, and he burned them alive. He would arrange the bodies, especially those he impaled, in specific geometric patterns. For women who broke the rules of chastity, those who lost their virginity before marriage, were unchaste as a widow or strayed a bit while married, he had a special torture. They were impaled through the vagina with hot steak. Then he would mutilate their breasts and feed them to the woman's men. He was also known to have drunk the blood of his victims and have eaten their flesh. He claimed to eradicate poverty in Wallachia by inviting the homeless to a grand feast. Once the victims had eaten, he closed and locked the door to the dining hall and set it on fire. There were no survivors. His military leadership was equally cruel to his adversaries, but he treated his allies with the utmost respect. He had promised to help his cousin Prince Stephen regain his throne, and in fourteen fifty seven he did just that. He provided six thousand horsemen to assist Stephen in deposing of Petru Aron. In return Stephen's reign would oppose any Ottoman incursions in Moldavia. In January of 1460, Pope Pius requested a new crusade against the Ottomans at the Congress of Mantua. He wanted this crusade to last three years. Matthias Corvinus, John Hunyadi's son, led the effort. Corvinus was given 40,000 gold coins so he could buy 10 Danube warships and gather 12,000 men for the army. Vlad Dracula was the only European leader who was interested in the crusade. He allied himself with Corvinus in an effort to keep the Ottomans out of Wallachia. Sultan Mehmed II, the leader of the Ottoman Empire, responded to the lack of enthusiasm to the new crusade by capturing the last independent Serbian city, Smederiva. Ottoman forces captured the army of the Hungarian general Mihile Sislagi and tortured his men to death. The general himself was sawed in half. Zizlagi had been the only ally that Vlad Dracula had when he razed several Saxon villages in 1458 in response to a merchant revolt, so Vlad didn't take this news well. Wallachia had also been claimed by the sultan as Ottoman territory. Therefore, it was forced to pay tribute to the sultan to avoid conflict. When the sultan sent his envoys to collect the tribute, Vlad declined their request for payment on the pretext that they refused to raise their hats to him upon meeting him. Not only did he refuse to pay, he had the envoys' turbans nailed to their heads. The Turks then began crossing the Danube to recruit an army. Vlad impaled them and anyone who joined them. In November of 1461, Vlad wrote to the sultan claiming that he couldn't afford to pay the tribute at the time, but he would pay up as soon as he could. He offered to come to Constantinople to negotiate payment if the sultan would provide him with an interim leader in his absence. However, the sultan caught wind of Vlad's alliance with Corvinus, and he sent Hamza Pasha, the chieftain of Nicopolis, to meet with Vlad instead. The sultan's plan was to ambush Vlad and have him brought to Constantinople. But Vlad learned of the plan and decided to ambush Pasha before he himself could be ambushed. Vlad attacked Pasha's cavalry as they were traversing a narrow pass to the north of Jiriu. This attack marked the first time that gunpowder was used in a, quote, deadly artistic way. Almost all of the men in Pasha's cavalry were killed and most were impaled. Hamza Pasha was impaled on the highest stake in deference to his rank. Vlad Dracula went on to cross the Danube River and attack regions in Bulgaria between Serbia and the Black Sea. Vlad was able to disguise himself as a Turk since he spoke the language fluently. He could infiltrate Ottoman forces by ordering the guards to open the gates of the fortresses. When they did, he and his forces would attack. He slaughtered every enemy soldier and any population that even sympathized with the Turks. After this and a few other skirmishes, Vlad gained the name Vlad Tepes, the Impaler Lord. He was celebrated for his success in Transylvania and the Italian states and even the Pope recognized Vlad's accomplishments. But the Sultan was having none of it. He assembled an army that consisted of 150,000 men. Everything from cavalry to elite troops were assembled to defeat the Hungarians, including Vlad's brother Radu, who had embraced the Ottoman lifestyle while he was imprisoned at the palace. Meanwhile, back in Wallachia, Vlad was trying to amass his own army. He asked for help for Corvinus, but got none. He instead hobbled together an army that consisted of any able-bodied men he could find, along with women and children over the age of 12 years. This included gypsy slave contingents. His army numbered around 30,000. Their weaponry was also substandard. They had lances, swords, and daggers, but the sultan's army was much better equipped. Despite being terribly unprepared, Vlad's army did fairly well. His forces killed 300 janissaries shortly after the sultan's forces disembarked at Vidin. He instituted a scorched earth policy in response to enemy advancement. He would evacuate villages, including the animals, as the Turks advanced, then poison the water in the villages. He made hit-and-run attacks against the Turkish forces. He sent infected people with the plague to mix with the Turks and infect them. And the plague did indeed infect the sultan's army. Bioterrorism at its finest. The sultan's army kept coming, so Vlad Dracula took his army of 24,000 men to a refuge in the nearby mountains. At this point, he was left with two choices, either die of starvation or surrender. So he came up with a third choice. He infiltrated the Turkish encampment and learned the location of the sultan's tent. He also ordered the sultan's men to stay in their tents at night under the guise of avoiding panic should the encampment be attacked. Vlad then came up with the plan for a stealth attack with the intention of killing the sultan. Vlad went back to the mountain retreat and divided his men into two forces that would attack from opposite sides of the encampment. Once inside the camp, they wrought havoc during the entire night of June 14, 1462. They killed approximately 15,000 Ottomans while losing only 5,000 of their own. Had Vlad not gone into the wrong tent, he may have actually assassinated the sultan, but he mistakenly went into the tent of two of the sultan's grand viziers. The sultan and his forces proceeded to advance on Wallachia, despite their low morale over the attack on the encampment. When they arrived at Wallachia, they found the city deserted and the gates wide open. They also found the impaled corpses of Hamza Pasha and his army. Finding no more resistance, the Turks retreated on June 22nd. They left Radu and his contingent of elite forces behind to rule Wallachia. Vlad then retreated to Hungary, where he formed another alliance with Matthias Corvinus. Believing this alliance to be solid, he then made his way back to Wallachia in 1462. Corvinus betrayed Vlad, however. He plotted an ambush of Vlad's men at the Castle King's Rock, just inside of the state. Vlad was captured by Corvinus's men and taken to Hungary where he was imprisoned. Vlad would remain in prison for 2 years, and during his imprisonment he gradually regained favor with Matthias Corvinus. Matthias Corvinus was crowned king of Hungary in 1464. During his imprisonment he met Ilona Sislagi, king Matthias' cousin. Vlad then converted to Catholicism and the two were allowed to marry. After he was released from prison, the couple was given a house at Pest and eventually had two sons, Vlad Tepelus and Mircea. Vlad fathered another son from his first marriage also. His name was Minia the Bad. Vlad III Dracula attempted to regain the throne, and his third and final reign, which he declared on November 26, 1476, lasted only two months. The circumstances related to Vlad's death are unclear. Some say he was killed fighting Turks. Others say that he was killed by disloyal Wallachians while also fighting Turks. Others say it was some sort of accident. A Turkish chronicler, Antonio Bonfini, claims that he was decapitated by the Turks and his head sent to Constantinople, where it was preserved in honey and put on display. The date of his death is also unclear, but it is known that he was dead by January tenth, fourteen 1477. Some say he was buried in Kamana Monastery. Others claim that he was buried at Snagov Monastery near Bucharest. In 1931, a casket was uncovered with a purple shroud embroidered with gold at Snagov. The skeleton was covered in fragments of faded silk brocade, similar to the clothing that Vlad Dracula wore when he commissioned a painting of himself. The casket also contained a cloisonn crown with turquoise stones and a ring. These pieces were known to have been worn by members of the Order of the Dragon. The contents of the casket were taken to the History Museum at Bucharest, where they disappeared. The circumstances surrounding his death certainly give rise to dispute that he ever died at all. Could Vlad III Dracula still be among us in 2021? My logical scientific side says no way, but the other side of me, the one that has had several encounters with things that I can't logically explain, says why not? So far I haven't really explained what links Vlad Dracula to Porphyria, and since we're about at the end of the show, I really should do that. Ladd was known to have several of the symptoms relating to porphyria during his life. He was known to have abdominal pain, as well as pain in his chest. He was prone to nausea. He had muscle pain and numbness in his extremities. And he also complained of feeling his heartbeat. Those weren't the only maladies he experienced, though. Those really could be anything from a pinched nerve to congenital heart failure. The symptoms that earmark porphyria in Vlad's case are his propensity to avoid sunlight due to the pain it caused him. Most of his military attacks were performed under the cover of darkness. He would have blisters on his skin if he was exposed to light for too long and it's said that he had excessive hair growing on his arms, hands, and face. He also exhibited a high propensity for mental illness. No one could have done the things he did unless they had some mental illness. He was prone to depression and was certainly psychotic. Vlad's medical history wasn't exactly chronicled, but there are tidbits that I found to support that he had porphyria. Of course, Stoker's character exhibited many of the symptoms of porphyria. The avoidance of sunlight and the manic depression that drove him to become a vampire in the first place are some of them. The thing that's always captivated me about Vlad Dracula and Stoker's Dracula is the propensity to drink the blood of their victims. Stoker's Dracula drank blood for nourishment. God only knows why Vlad drank blood, but it's possible that he could have found some nutritional value there also. Porphyria is an inability to make heme. So could it be that even in the 1400s, Vlad would know that there was something amiss in his blood? Could he have felt that by drinking the blood of his victims, he would be able to heal himself of his malady? Who knows? Nothing about Vlad Dracula is for certain. For that matter, not much about Stoker's Dracula is really known. All I know for sure is that porphyria is known as Dracula's disease. I hope that you enjoyed the Halloween episode of Cause of Death. Keep in mind that this episode was written to entertain. I have no idea if Vlad Dracula or Stoker's Dracula had porphyria. The information on porphyria is accurate according to the extensive research that can be found in the show notes along with the story of Vlad the Impaler. I had a listener question this week. I love listener questions. You guys need to ask more questions so I have more stuff to talk about. I talked with a new listener, Desiree, who started listening after my collaboration with Dos Boquenos on Robert Johnson. She asked if I was going to do a Part 2 on COVID addressing the Delta variant and the impact it's having on both the U.S. and worldwide. At this point, the answer is no. I'm not going to go any farther with COVID until there is some resolution. I'd rather look back on the impact and have something to talk about than just push information to the masses without really knowing the answers. Since we have two more variants coming down the pike, it'll be interesting to see what happens. She also asked if I was going to do an episode about COVID worldwide. I am considering it, but again, I'd like to see a little more resolution before I talk about things that haven't happened yet. I think I know what's going to happen with all of these things, but I don't want to blurt it out and then be wrong and be marked as not having a clue. Desiree works in public health here in New Mexico, so I was very pleased that she liked the show and found that my research was on point. That means a lot to me since I try really hard to make sure that I'm working off of the facts of the matter. Thank you so much for listening, Desiree. I enjoyed our conversation. Please feel free to ask any other questions you may have. There's also been a recent update on the Burkholderia outbreak in the U.S., It was found that a product sold by Walmart called Better Homes and Gardens Essential Oil Infused Aromatherapy Room Spray with Gemstone was the culprit. This product was first found in the Georgia patient's home. Then it was found in the homes of the three other patients who suffered melioidosis. The product from the Georgia patient's home was tested and found to have the bacteria present. Walmart has since pulled 4,000 bottles of this spray from their shelves. If you have this product in your home, please be advised that it has been recalled. Return it to the store or pitch it. It's not worth keeping. Happy Halloween, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Cause of Death. Until next time, stay safe, get vaccinated, and watch out for people with needle teeth.